Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, welcome. My name is Ricky. Serve as one of the pastors here. Um, you got to see it, right? Have any of you heard that about something? You know, somebody just tells you you got to see it. I heard this a lot about the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Right? And then you've probably heard this, or other people, you know, if you haven't, you're like, yeah, I've, I've heard people say it, and they'll say, man, it's, you, you just got to see it. And a, about a year ago, uh, me and my family were actually able to go out there to the Grand Canyon. And I mean, you hear the phrase, even Grand Canyon, and you get out there, and, and I mean, it is, even though you're expecting it to be grand, to be, for it to be very big, to be awe-inspiring, I mean, you see it, and it is, it's crazy. I mean, it's just crazy big and, and just breathtaking, um, just, of, just of how big it is. And so we're like, it's like a mile down. We're, we're walking around looking at it and they have these shuttles and they'll, you kind of get on the shuttle and they'll just take you out. You get out to this lookout point and, and you look around and, and it's just like crazy. And you really start to see just, it'll be like, you know, a cliff and then a little slant and then another one, another one, another one, another one. And you look way down there and you're like, oh yeah, and that's the Colorado River way down there that I could barely see. It's crazy. And then you get back on the shuttle and it'll just take you about half a mile down the road and you walk out to the next lookout point. And then again, I mean, at least for me, you, I mean, even though it's just like, well, yeah, I just saw it five minutes ago. And then you get out there and you're like, gosh, it's still crazy big. Um, and we're walking around and there's this, this one part where they had these, you could like actually go down into the canyon. And so they had these, these ramps that you could walk down and they kind of zigzagged down the canyon down there. And you just look at these like itty bitty people walking up there and you're just like, that looks awful because it's so far at this guy. I, he did, he, I, I think he was just announcing it to himself and to the world. He gets up there and he's all decked out. He looks legit and he just looks miserable and he just goes, he, he like hiked up the, these ramps and he just goes, never again. You know, and it's just like, because cause it's so big. Um, now I could, you know, I could show you some pictures, but, but that, that really wouldn't do it, right? Because it's just like this thing, you just, you just got to see it. You just have to experience it. For yourself, and and we kind of get that with with something like the Grand Canyon or other really big things, right? Like the Great Barrier Reef. You could Google image that thing or whatever, but you're like, no, you just got to see it. Or um, <clears throat> or Hawaii, or the Rockies, or the Platte River. You know, it's just these things that you're like, man, it's it's just you can't encompass it in in a photo. But what if I told you that actually every day. Right? We, could all, we could all want to go to those places and book a trip, but what if I told you every day you could actually experience something far more glorious than any of those things have to offer? Right? That you would be like, yeah, I'm interested. I want to see that. And we have this desire to see these things, like the Grand Canyon, but, but what if there was this thing, and we had this, this notion of just like the same thing with God. You just got to see Him. You just, you just, you just got to take them in and experience them for yourself. Because even something like seeing the Grand Canyon and how that might hit you or impact you, it's even greater when we gaze upon Jesus and the more life impacting that would be. But on the flip side, if we're not looking at Jesus, if we don't experience him, it's also 
just as life impacting. So that's what we're going to be looking at today in Matthew 17. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Matthew 17. It is the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 17. And uh, this is called the Transfiguration. And I think it's something that we, we've all kind of heard and, and maybe we're a little bit familiar with. But it's also, let's just kind of admit, it's usually something that we don't think is a big deal. I mean, even myself, I'm just like, oh, cool, that happened, and let's move on. Um, and so just leading up to this, in um, chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is, is going to come with His angels in glory, or in the glory of His Father, and then He will read each uh, he will reward each according to what he's done. And so he's, he's talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about something future. And, um, the, and then he immediately says, But I tell you truly, some, there are some standing here, he's talking with his disciples, that will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so he's talking about what is, what's next, the transfiguration. And he's talking about, hey, some of you are going to see the coming, the, the like glory of the Lord. That, that Jesus is going to happen. And so even in this, in this transfiguration, we see this like this foretaste of the glory of what Jesus will be coming in when he does return. But before this question in chapter 16, Jesus asks a question. And, and Matthew's been building to this question. And Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say I am? You know, what, who do other people say that I am? And they answer that question. But then he says, well, who do you say that I am? And, and then this transfiguration, it keeps moving the narrative. Matthew keeps moving this narrative, and it's answering that question for us. Continue to answer, well, this is who Jesus is. And it's showing us. And so the, we're going to look at this. Uh, so the first point is this, who, is, who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. And there's, there's two parts to this of who Jesus is. First is this one, is Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. So look at verse 1. It says this, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John, and led them, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Jesus, is, he was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. And so, Jesus takes three of the twelve disciples up, the, up this mountain. And why three? Don't know. Um, they seem to be kind of a little bit closer to Jesus than the rest of them. Or, um, you know, it could be just because later on in verse 9, he tells them, don't tell anybody until I have been raised from the dead. And so, Jesus might be just trying to stay focused on his mission, doesn't want people to start sharing what happened too soon. Or it could be just kind of pointing back to Exodus 24 when Moses goes up to the mountain, uh, to Mount Sinai, and he takes three people with him. But Jesus, he's the one that leads them up the mountain. And there's this whole scene with the mountain. Like if, if you're uh, a Jew who's Matthew is writing to, you, you hear that. He took him up a mountain. That would recall like, oh yeah, a lot of significant things happen in, on top of a mountain. Mount Sinai... Elijah has, a, has kind of a, a, a face-off with the prophets of Baal on a mountain. Jesus just preached a sermon, a sermon on the mount. And for you, the most significant thing would be Mount Sinai. And if you're, if you're reading this and you hear all this language and you see, oh, Moses is there, Elijah's there, the cloud is there. In Luke, it says that there's lightning. All of this would be bringing you back to Exodus. To Moses, when Moses goes up on the mountain to hear from God, to meet with God. It's very, all very, very similar. And, and in Exodus 33, Moses asks God this. He goes, please show me your glory. Show me who you are, God. 
Moses wants to see God, see His greatness, see His glory, see His goodness. And then God replies to Moses, Moses, well, you can't see my glory and live. So God puts Moses in, in this cleft of the rock, kind of like in this crack in the rocks, and says, okay, I'm, I'm going to cover you with my hand, kind of shield you from my glory, and I'm going to pass by. God, God will pass by, and then after I've passed by, God removes his hand. So, so God is saying, hey, you, could see, you can't see my glory and live, but you could see kind of like my backside and where my glory was. Because you can't even take it in. That, that's, what, that's what Moses, or what God tells Moses. And, and so that Moses gets to see that. Gets, gets to see kind of the, the backside, the delayed backside of God, of His glory, in that. And then later on, when Moses comes down the mountain to the people, because he, he's going up there, he's meeting with God, seeing His glory, he comes down, and Moses doesn't even realize it, but Moses is changed. Moses' face, his, his, his clothes are white. His, his face is like shiny and white because he had, he had come into contact with the glory of God. And so he, he himself is, is transfigured. And so, but note, notice here in verse 2, it says Jesus was transfigured in front of them and his face shone. His clothes became as white as light. And so, Moses reflected the glory of God because he came into contact with the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. It's coming from Jesus, from who he is. It's not like outside of Jesus. It is coming from within Jesus, this glory of God. And this word here, transfigured, that you know, it means kind of like metamorphosis or, or like you know, if a, a butterfly, or not a butterfly, caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Jesus isn't changing in who he is or his form, but it's like, it's like a veil, a curtain's being pulled back. Jesus is revealing really who he is. Think, think of a gender reveal for a baby, right? They, they're not changing what is, they're just telling you what is. All right, it's, it's a girl, boom. And so, and so Jesus, it, this, that's kind of like what he's doing here. He's like, this is what I've been veiling for you, what I've been kind of keeping under wraps for you. And so now it's, it's like revealing his divine glory. But again, not a reflection like Moses. Mo- Moses is like the moon, when you go out at night and you see it and it's bright, that's not because the moon has any light of itself. It's because that's the, the sun's light reflecting off of the moon. That would be like Moses. But Jesus is the sun. He has the glory. He has the light. He is the source of the glory. Later on in John chapter 1, as some of the disciples, like John who is here, he's writing about this. And he says in, in verse 14, John chapter 1, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Later on in Hebrews, it's just, again just talking about how Jesus is the glory. This is Hebrews 1.3. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And so it's, it's, it's just showing us Jesus is 
the glory of God. Other things might might show us the glory of God, right? In Psalms 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. But here, it's Jesus is that glory of God, the radiance of God's glory. He is the complete and exact representation of God, of of God's glory. So we, we see who Jesus is and that He is the glory of God. Next thing that we see in who Jesus is is that He, Jesus, is the Son. Jesus is the Son. He's not just another prophet. Verse 3. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will set up three shelters here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So Moses and Elijah are here at, the, here at this transfiguration of, of Jesus revealing kind of like he, who he is, the glory of God. <clears throat> and then Moses and Elijah appear. And so Moses and Elijah, Moses represents the law um, from the Old Testament. Elijah represents the prophets. And, and so like they're testifying. So like, again, just think of how Matthew's been working this. He's showing us who Jesus is. Who do other people, Jesus asked the disciples, who do other people say I am? Who do you say that I am? And now it's, well, who does the law and the prophets say that I am? Think all throughout Matthew. What is the word that's been repeated over and over? Jesus fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled. All the scriptures are saying, he's the Messiah. He's God. And now even Moses and Elijah in, in person somehow, supernaturally, are saying, yep, they're answering the question of who Jesus is. He's, he's, he's God. Peter. I mean, I, lo- I love Peter's response here. It's good for us to be here. I just think like, yep. I mean, wouldn't we all have that reaction? This is a good day. You know, <laughs> like, awesome. This is cool. And then, and then Peter says, well, hey, if, if you want, I'll make three shelters, three tents for each of you. One, one for each of you. And so what it, what it seems like Peter, I mean, like, again, think of Peter's mindset here. He's like, this, man, I, this is awesome. It's good for us to be here. I got the all-star team. I got, I got Moses. I got Elijah. I got Jesus. This is cool. This is like the Mount Rushmore of, of legit Jewish guys. The goats. So let, let's hang here. But, but you kind of see in Peter's mentality, it seems like he's treating them all on equal basis. Right? We, hey, I'll make one for each of you. And then look, look at it. Verse 5. While he, that's Peter, while Peter's still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered. Right? It's like, eh, nobody interacts with what Peter really says. And it's like he's cut off. He's interrupted by God the Father. It's like, nope, not having any of that mentality. Bright cloud, bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I love and am well pleased. And so, again, the, the cloud that reminds us of Exodus, how the, the cloud, the, the, the glory of God that was represented in the cloud, the majesty of God that was represented in the cloud, covered the mountain. And, and now, it's, now it's here. And it, the cloud says, you know, God says, this is my son. Whom I love and am well pleased. And this should remind you of uh, earlier in Matthew of the baptism of Jesus. It's, it's 
Like almost entirely similar, except that there's the cloud, right? And that's what God said back then. And so, again, just track with what Matthew is saying. What Matthew is doing. Who do other people say I am? Who do you say I am? Who do the prophets and the law say that I am? And now we have God the Father saying who Jesus is. It is like very clear. This is my Son, right? This is God the Son. Whom I love and am well pleased. And then look at it. When the disciples heard this, they fell down. They're terrified. Jesus came up and touched them and said, Don't be, get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. No one is there ex- left except Jesus. The other two are gone. All attention. All worship is right there on Jesus. He's not just one of the prophets. Moses and Elijah are there to point to Jesus. Not because they're on equal status with Jesus. It's because like, no, this is what our, like for Moses and Elijah, that was their whole ministry, their whole life was about, was pointing to someone greater than them. In Deuteronomy 18, it speaks of another prophet to come. One that would be greater, like greater than Moses. The ultimate prophet, the ultimate messenger from God. And so like, Jesus is not one of, one of the people on Mount Rushmore. Right? Like for, of like Jewish legit guys. It's just Jesus. It's just Him. He's, he's the big deal. He is what this is all about. Moses, Moses reflected the glory of God after, after, seeing Jesus, after seeing it. Jesus is the glory of God. Elijah proclaimed about the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. They were messengers of God. Jesus is God. He's not, he's not like, I mean, even when you think of other world religions, he's not just another guy. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another guy, that teacher. He is God. God the Son. I like what, what um, author N.T. Wright says this. He says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human. That the fire has become flesh. That life itself became life and walked in our midst. In the transfiguration, we, we, when we see God, the glory of God. The, the glory, I mean, it's pointing us forward to the glory that will come in Jesus' second coming. In John 17, verse 8, it says that it's even pointing to the past glory because it says that the glory that Jesus had with His Father before the world existed. And so we're seeing Jesus' identity here. He is the glory of God. He is the Son. We see this in the transfiguration. Next thing that we see is what Jesus came to do. So that's the second point, is what Jesus came to do. Look at verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And so it's, that could seem a little bit weird. It's like, why wouldn't they want to tell everybody? And Jesus is saying like, yeah, you can, but later after I'm raised from the dead, the proclamation of the king and the kingdom, that's, that's when that would really begin is after his resurrection, which was really the final confirmation of, of who he was. Then verse 10, so the disciples are asking Jesus, why then 
do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Uh, They're pointing back to Malachi 4 where it says it prophesies that Elijah will come and then that's when there'll be renewal, there'll be people turning back and and there'll be the Messiah. And so this is kind of their thought. Jesus, we know that Elijah must come before the Messiah. We know that you're the Messiah, but we just saw Elijah and it seems like he came after you. So why not? Why wasn't he before you? Does that make sense? So that's, that's their question. And then Jesus answers them. Verse 11. Elijah is coming and restore everything, he replied. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did, to it, did whatever they pleased to him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had, he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. And so Jesus is pointing out to them, man, Elijah's already come. He, Elijah kind of came in, in spirit in the, in the person John the Baptist. He, John the Baptist, he announced that the, the kingdom of God, he, he encouraged people to repent. He helped to bring restoration, but he didn't bring restoration like you thought. It didn't look exactly like you thought it would. And Jesus is, in this passage is even alluding to that the way that Jesus is going to bring in the kingdom doesn't look like what they think it will. Because you see it here, and you see it really, you see it a lot in the upcoming chapters, but the disciples' mentality is this. Jesus is going to come back, and He's going to restore everything, meaning Israel will be free, and Rome and the oppressors will be out. That's what this is going to look like. It's going to be this very earthly, physical kingdom that, that Jesus is going to, to bring about. And, and they start heading to Jerusalem, right? So, so the disciples are thinking, we're heading to Jerusalem. Why else would we head to Jerusalem? Except it's, it's kingdom time. This, this is going to happen. And, and, and Jesus says, well, John the Baptist came. He came um, in the spirit of, of Elijah. And then he says... In verse, verse, uh, verse 12, they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. Meaning, John the Baptist suffered and he was killed. He died. That's what they did to him. And then he, then he says, in the same way, the Son of Man, talking about himself, he's going to suffer at their hands. Jesus is saying, you, disciples, you think that we're heading to Jerusalem to get a, for me to get a crown? But I'm telling you that we're heading to Jerusalem so that I could be nailed to a cross. That, that's what Jesus is telling him. That's what Jesus came to do. Matthew, right, right in chapter 1, says he will come and he will save his people from their sin. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here for the, just this like earthly kingdom for you to fix these things. Jesus is here to pay the penalty for sin. Saving people from their sin. Restoring people to a relationship with God. Which would be accomplished through His suffering and death. And, and, and Jesus has been telling His disciples, He's been telling them for a while, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to go. I'm going to die. Be raised. But it's, it's, it's just not sinking in. 
It's not a crown, it's a cross. Because the disciples loved the idea of a reigning Messiah, a reigning Jesus, but not a rejected one. They loved the idea that that Jesus would be served, that even they themselves would be served. But Jesus says, but I came to serve. They loved the idea of Jesus exalted, lifted high. But what would happen is that Jesus would be humiliated. And here's the thing, they they actually kind of have a little bit of a misperception of, of glory. They don't really fully get it. And yeah, Jesus is showing them a peak of His glory here. And, and, and Jesus is white and He's shining. But they're actually going to even see more of His glory to come. And His death and resurrection, this is what Philippians 2 says. Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when He had come as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's how Jesus is going to be exalted. He's going to be exalted because he died. Because he was humiliated. Because he, the, the, the most glorious became sin. Before splendor, there would be suffering. Jesus changed the world not by putting himself in some sort of high position, being exalted, but by humbling himself being nailed to a cross. So we we see, why did Jesus come? He came to die. He came came to, to make a way for us to be saved from our sin, to be made right with God. And and also, I mean, like, so what else Jesus did, what he came to do, we actually see a glimpse of it here in the transfiguration. Remember in Exodus 19, God told Moses I will come to you in a den- on the mountain. I will come to you in a dense cloud and I will speak with you. And so before that, God tells Moses and the people, he says, before, before I go meet with Moses and speak with him, Moses, you and everybody else, you need to consecrate yourselves. You need to set yourselves aside, cleanse yourselves, all these things. You need to kind of make yourself right. And then, then God says, and I want you to set up boundaries around the mountain. And he's like, and nobody can cross. Nobody could cross these boundaries, even, even an animal. Your stray cat goes across that boundary, bam, you got to put that thing to death. And so you're like, there you go, go ahead, cat, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, bummer, we lost Fluffy. <laughs> Sorry, um, what, what is he saying? I like cats. Um, right, but, but, but God, God is saying that that god is so holy so good and you can't get too close you have to purify yourselves can't get too near can't touch don't don't look you can't see my glory and live right what he tells moses and and i think for us today that feels pretty weird and and because i think i think a lot of times we think it should be easy 
I just, I, you know, I just pray and God should answer. Boom. And we get frustrated when He doesn't answer. We, we think it should just be so simple. But that's not really the mentality of, of honestly, really Scripture or of even the ancient world. They would have, and I think we really underestimate how corrupt and wretched we are. Right? We think we're pretty good. Be kind. Boop. Pretty good person. And we even more so drastically underestimate how good God is. And so we just don't see the gap. But God is supremely good, perfect, beautiful, ultimate beauty. And so God is saying, you can't just walk over there, set up a boundary. Why? Because can't can't get to get too close. I mean, think of over and over again in Scripture where people, they actually get closer to God and they don't think that they are legit. They actually start to get a more of a picture of how inadequate they are. Isaiah 6. Isaiah meets with the Lord and he falls down. He's like, whoa, whoa. I'm an unclean man from an un- with unclean lips from an unclean nation. We're all unclean. It, I mean, it's, it's like it stops him in his tracks. In Revelation, John sees God and he says that he falls on the ground like a dead man. Seeing just how inadequate they are. And so, right here when we see that, and the cloud came and overshadowed them, and the disciples, the three of them, throw themselves on the ground. Why? Because they're recognizing, oh, holiness of God, I can't contain it. I can't see the glory of God and live. Face to the ground, they don't even look. They, they, they close their eyes. They're overwhelmed with fear because the glory of God. But then notice what happens. Verse 7. Jesus. The glory of God. The exact representation of God in human form touched them. The glory of God touched them. Everything else that, like, all of the scriptures, like, you can't get too close. Mm-mm. Set up boundaries. You can't see the glory of God and lived. But now the glory of God comes to them. We don't get ourselves to the divine. We don't get ourselves to God. God came down. I mean, is it, I mean this is so cool. This is like this preview of what we get through Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. He's the one that brings us to God. Hebrews, it says, Now you can approach the throne of grace with courage, with boldness, with confidence. Why? Because Jesus said, yeah, you, you drastically are messed up, unholy, sinful, dead. But Jesus paid the price for our sin. You can't be good enough. You can't be perfect. But Jesus is perfect and good enough for us. I mean, I mean even, even think, if, if you've trusted in Christ, 
you have the spirit of the living God inside of you. Right there, there's no other temple where you now go to meet with God. You are the temple of God. The glory has come to us to save us, to bring us to God. So it shows us what he came to do. Last thing we just see, well, so what we should do, what we should do. Two things, two things of what we should do when we, in just response to this passage. Look at verse 5. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And this is a little bit different from, from his baptism. He, God the Father adds this, listen to him. Listen to him. So first thing we should do is listen to Jesus. This is a repeated theme throughout Matthew. Listening to, to the word of God. Listening to Jesus. I think, it's, I think it's repetitive a lot. Actually because we need to hear it a lot. I mean I could, the, the scriptures could say listen to Jesus. And we're like cool. Right? But this time tomorrow. That could be tough. Peter in, in 2 Peter 1. When he's recalling this. He says, he's talking about, about the transfiguration. Seeing the glory of God. And we, he says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And then right after that, Peter goes on to say, the scriptures are completely reliable. And that you would do well to pay attention to it. For it doesn't come just by people, just from human will, but by the Holy Spirit. Listen to Jesus. Here's a question. Does the voice of Jesus have your ear and have a, transfer, a formational power in your life? Does the voice of Jesus have your ear and is a formational power in your life? We could listen to things hour after hour, all these things in the world and think, we could just really be prideful and naive to think that they don't actually have an effect on us, but that we're even listening to these other voices, we think that we're just going to somehow know God more and become more like Jesus more. But the truth is, is all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training righteousness so that we might be equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of heart. This is, this is not just some book from thousands of years ago that's kind of cool. This is God's word. Do you... Does the voice of Jesus have your ear and is a formational power in your life because it is God's Word? Listen to Him. Second thing we do in response to this is look at Jesus. Behold Him. I mean, think, if you're one of the disciples, them seeing the glory of Jesus changed their life. Moses, when he goes up onto the mountain and, and meets with God, that, that interaction that he had 
transfigured Moses. It changed him, transformed him. Even when he goes down to it, his face reflects the glory of God. And so the same is, is that's true for them is the same that's true for you and me. As you behold, as you look at Christ, his goodness, his glory were changed. You're changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. As, as we contemplate, as we focus on, as we really dive into, observe, keep looking at the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into His image. I mean, right there, the Scriptures, hey, you want to become more like Christ? Look at Him. Behold Him. That's how you're actually transformed and changed into knowing Christ more and to become more like Him is by beholding Him. Whatever, I mean, so, like, here's, here's the reality. Whatever you give your attention to will shape your affections. Right? It'll just shape what you care about. Whatever it is. It could be sports. It could be the news. It could be your looks. It could be your job. Whatever, whatever it is that you really give your attention to will shape your affections. And whatever your affections are set on will shape your actions. So, I mean, basically, whatever you give your attention to shapes you. Shapes your life. And we could fall just into the same trap as Peter. We could kind of, you know, Peter's putting things on equal page with Jesus. We could do the same thing. Putting things just on equal par with Jesus. Worshiping Jesus, uh, you know, it's probably at the same level as my comfort. Being generous, worshiping God with my finances, well, that could be just on the same level as me living for what I want and doing those things. If Jesus is not the ultimate glory in your life, He will be a hobby at best. If Jesus is not the ultimate glory in your life, He will be an option to be considered a suggestion to be maybe thought about, but he will not be God to worship. Does Jesus have your attention? Your affections? Focusing on contemplating, diving deeper and deeper into his glory, his majesty. Because here's the thing. You don't have to like drive far. You know, it's not like you have to take a flight to go look at the glory of God. You've got His Word right in front of you. You have free access to God because of Christ. As you give more of your attention, more of your just focus on Christ, beholding Him, who He is, the love of Christ becomes alive in you. The more that you're like, man, this love that He has for me, the salvation that I've been given through Christ is actually that amazing. And God starts to shape you, to change you, because you're beholding something that is far more glorious than yourself or anything of this world. And so the approval of people, while that's fine and everything, it doesn't hold a candle to the approval that has been bought for you in Christ. Give your attention to Him, because He is really the most glorious thing in your life. 
And I know we, we, we all want this moment, right? We all want this Mount of Transfiguration moment where, where we, it just, it just, we see it. We'd all be like Peter. It's good for us to be here. But the awesome thing is we do see the glory of God. We see the glory of God in Jesus. Even with a clearer picture than what they had because where they still didn't know about his death and resurrection, we do. We today get to see the ultimate glory play the ultimate price. That the ultimate beauty became sin. And how the ultimate splendor suffered so that we might be brought close, so that we might be near, so that we might be in His presence and see His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank You, Lord, so much for who You are. Lord, we pray that, um, that You just help us to look at Your glory, to look at who You are, to know You. Lord, help us to listen to You, Lord. If even just that helps us to see who You are. And Lord, thank you that you really are God, that you really are better, that you are more beautiful than everything. So Lord, just help us more and more to see you, to behold you, and more and more to just be transformed to become more like you. We ask this in your name.